Good morning, Joy Christian Center. You may be seated. Again, thank you for being with us this morning. We say about us as a congregation, about us as a church, that we are a family church that's teaching people to reach their world. And uh, uh, in case you haven't know, if, in case you don't know it, um, we believe in joy. We believe that. Uh, I don't know, I just don't believe that God's an old fuddy-duddy up in heaven that just doesn't want anybody to have fun. I don't think that's God. I don't think that's, I know it's not my heavenly father. He's a good God and he's a fun God. He's got a sense of humor. And look at the person next to you. You will see that it is true. He has a sense of humor. Praise God. And uh, we are glad that you're here. Uh, We're finishing up a series that we've been calling Circles and Rows. And uh, I hope you don't feel like you've missed, if you've missed the first two weeks, uh, uh, I hope you don't feel like you've missed a whole bunch. I mean, you have missed some really awesome stuff, but um, uh, you can go online and get it, greatjoy.org. And uh, we, live stream our services. We also archive all of our services so you can catch up on the messages and I would highly encourage you to do that from time to time. Uh, Take, you know, 45 minutes or so, listen to the word of God. It will help you uh, in your daily life. I believe that with all of my heart. It's why uh, part of the reason that we do what we do, it is to teach the word of God, hopefully in a way that is compelling, that is relevant, that is understandable, but hopefully challenging as well. And so in this series, Circles and Rows, we actually began with I, I like to say it this way, it was the birth of the early church. If you remember, uh, um, if you've read the Bible and you've probably heard different pieces of this, Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again, and, uh, uh, and then after he rose again, he was made alive, he appeared to his disciples, and a couple of different times he appeared to them, but one time he said, I want you to go to the city of Jerusalem, and I want you to tarry there, I want you to wait there, because you're going to get something after you've been there for a while, he said, I'm going to endue you. I'm going to give you power from on high. Now, he didn't describe it. He didn't explain it. He just said, I want you to go to Jerusalem because I've got something for you that is going to help you because I'm leaving. I'm going to be seated at the right hand of my father. I'm gone, and now I'm entrusting all of this work to you, but you're not able to carry it out yet. You need some help, and that helper was the Holy Spirit. And you read in Acts chapter uh, 1 and verse 8, he said, I want you to go into all the world, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, I want you to do those things, and then he ascended. He was caught up into heaven, and um, then they went to Jerusalem, and and it was during what's called the Feast of Pentecost. It was a a yearly feast. It was one of the seven feasts that the nation of Israel would celebrate, that they would do, and so so there was a bunch of people that were in Jerusalem. I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of extra people in Jerusalem come from regions all around that because that was part of the custom of the Feast of Pentecost. And so there were Jesus' disciples. They were in the upper room, and something peculiar happened when they were in the upper room. They were in this room during the Feast of Pentecost, and they were praying, they were seeking God, and they were worshiping God together. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descended upon them in that room where they all were in one accord. And it said there was like little tongues of fire that sat upon their head, and all of them began to speak with another language. They began to pray and worship God in a language that they did not know. We call that today they were speaking in tongues. They were praying in the Holy Spirit. And and what was interesting is... I think interesting is that all of the people that were from different regions, they heard in their own language, they heard these disciples worshiping God, praising God, giving glory to God in their own language. They understood it, which was a little bit unusual. The other thing that was a little bit unusual, (laughs) I don't know if you're ready for this or not, but I don't know why we think that when we go to church, it should be quiet. 
why do we, you know, I mean, we're having fun. Woohoo, we're talking to people. And then we walk through the doors and we sit down. It's church. It's like, I, I've said this before. It's like, God must be in heaven. Like, why, why am I the bad guy? I mean, they're having fun doing this, having fun doing that. We got to go to church. I mean, and when the Holy Spirit filled that upper room, do you know what the people that were outside of the upper room that were in the streets, you know what they thought? Now, this is God working in them, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, upon them so strongly that they said, only people that would act like that are drunk people. That's the church. Sorry, God just texted me. I thought I had my sound off. Obviously, I didn't. Yes, Lord, your servant heareth. <sighs> Wasn't important. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, they were acting like drunk people. <laughs> Never. So, so there they were. And, and all of the people were, were like, what's going on? These people are really happy. And, and, and they said, no, they can't be drunk because it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. It's, it's the morning. They, they wouldn't be. And I'm thinking like, well, okay, so maybe 3 o'clock they would be, but not 9 o'clock. I mean, I don't know. I, it just always kind of caught me funny. But no, they couldn't be drunk because it was in the morning. Of, uh, morning. And then Peter, he got up and he began to preach. You know, Peter, Peter, the, always quick to speak. He got up and he began again to say, uh, you know, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that on the, in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy your old men will dream dreams I mean this is the spirit of God this is the outpouring this is what God is doing this is a cool thing and 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 Jesus is the one who brought that and and that Jesus and he, then he points to the guys Jesus who you guys all crucified and they, he began to talk about Jesus, God's son, and Jesus died on a cross, but he, and, and he was buried, but he is alive. And, and as he began to preach that, the other people who heard that, they began to say, well, what do we do? What do we do? What should we do to be saved? And Peter answered and said to those who were asking the question, what do we do to be saved? He said, you should go to church. No, he didn't say that because there wasn't a church to go to. Well, you've got you've to read your Bible. Well, they really didn't have a Bible like what we have. Well, you need to worship God and you need to pray. And these were Jewish people and they already knew how to worship God. They already knew how to pray. And they realized that something was missing. They said, what must we do to be saved? And G Peter answered just the very most simple thing. You need to repent and be baptized. You need to repent and be baptized. All these layers that we've added to stuff. But he said, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. And in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 41, it says, those who believed what Peter said. Now, some who didn't believe, but there were some who did. Those who believed what Peter said and were baptized, they were added to the church that day, 3,000 people. That's an exciting birth. That's an exciting start. That was an experience that happened to the early church. It was powerful. It was dramatic. And it changed the course of human history. It changed the world. That was an event, and then we began to discover, and it's a lesson that we all know, you know this, I know this, that, that the Christian life is not just a, an experience, and we're not to, to live it from experience to experience to experience, but the Christian life is a daily experience. It is a daily journey. That's why you and I need daily bread. Everybody say daily bread. We need daily bread. We need fresh manna from heaven every day of our lives so that we can be sustained in the journey because sometimes that journey is difficult and it is hard. And that's really where in, in the birth of the early church and as all of that began to unfold, God, I believe, designed something, gave us an example of, of, of what the early church did. And that's where I've kind of arrived with the circles and the rows.
Because the early church had circles and they had rows and both are necessary. They were necessary for them and they're necessary for you and for me. And, and the first week we talked about the circle and it was the circle it's in the circle that we're face to face. It's in the circle that we're eyeball to eyeball. It is where we know and we're known. It's where iron sharpens iron. There's heart there. There's fellowship there. There's love there. It's where we can do the one another's. The Bible says that we're to love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. We're, we're, we're to forgive one another. We're, we're to welcome one another. These are the one another's that we do when we're in the circle. But we also see in the early church, we see the row. And the row is shoulder to shoulder. The row is where, where, where there's the power. There is the strength. As, as we've said many times here, everybody can do more than somebody can. And it is amazing what a group of people that are determined to get something done can do. And when all of us join together to cause something to happen, that's the power that's in the row. And like I said, there's tremendous value in the circle. There's great power in the row, but there's also weaknesses in both. There's a weakness in the row because the row don't, the row doesn't know. The row doesn't know. If you're sitting by yourself or sometimes shoulder to shoulder with people that you don't know, they don't know if you're hurting. They don't know if you need uh, you know, encouragement. They don't know what's going on. And likewise, if we're to be responsible to love one another, pray for one another, if I don't know you, how can I pray for you? And that's the weakness that happens in the row because the row doesn't know. We're shoulder to shoulder. And much of our church experience is, is in the row. And part of it's because we're afraid of the circle. We're afraid of the face-to-face. We, you know, we're just uncomfortable with that. And so while there's a strength in the row, there's power that can, be accompl- that can accomplish great things, there's weakness in the row. The circle is similar. The circle, it's face to face. There's heart there. There's fellowship. Iron sharpens iron, but the circle has a weakness also. There's protection. You know, if something's going on in your life and there's a circle of friends or a small group or whatever it is that you're a part of, man, they can pray for you and you can feel that warmth and you can feel that love and, and the one and others begin to happen. Somebody's accepting you. Somebody's caring for you. All of those things are happening. But sometimes those circles can become so inward focused that that circle of protection becomes a barrier and a wall that keeps other people out. And it's very comfortable in my little circle, my little clique, my friends. I love you, you love me, we're a happy family, and we don't want anyone else to come around because they'll screw it up with their ugly frown. So I just made that up, by the way. And so, (laughs) see, second service, you guys get stuff that first service never gets. Some of you are going to say, I'm going to first service from now on. So anyway, <laughs> the circle can become ingrown. It's inward looking and it's, it's a barrier that won't let people in. And so rows are strong and, and yet the rows have weakness and circles are, are, are heart and they're great, but there's also weaknesses there. But there's one area, I think there's one area that the row and the circle comes together to make something awesome happen. And, and, and I think that, that while every believer needs a row, they need a circle. It's when we put the circle and the row, the heart of the circle, the power of the row together, that something awesome happens. And so 
I want to use an Old Testament story to illustrate a New Testament truth to you this morning, uh, some things that maybe you've heard before, uh, but, but I think in a little bit different way than we've ever presented it before as well. And, and, and as a church, we desire four things. Number one, we want to help people know God. We want you to not just know about him, facts and figures about him, but to relationally, experientially know him. That's why Jesus came. He died on the cross so that you could have a relationship, a friend-to-friend relationship with God. That's an awesome thought. It's a scary thought, but it's an awesome thought. And not only do we want to help people know God, we want to help people find freedom in their life. And that happens a lot of times in small groups. It happens in the circle. But we want to also help people discover the reason why they're here on planet Earth. God has given you a task. He's given you some things to do, and he's gifted you. But you can't know what it is that God wants you to do or that purpose without knowing God first. And then ultimately he wants us to make a difference in somebody else's life. And so, and so that's what we do, and, and that's what we're a part of. And, and, and we're seeing that happen more and more. It's an, it's a, it's an exciting time. But... There's some things that, that over the years that I've discovered, and, and when, whenever people come to church, generally speaking, there's two things they're looking for. People bring two things with them, two things with them when they come to church. Number one, they bring questions. Practical questions, spiritual questions, deep heart questions, they bring questions. And number two, not you, none of you would do this, but some people bring baggage with them to church. You just brought a coffee cup? That's not baggage. Man, that's like Jehovah Java, the Lord that awakens me. You know, I mean, that's a Hebrew name for God. Hallelujah. If we can't get the Holy Ghost, we'll have a Java bean. Praise God. Amen. I've had several this morning. Glory to God. It shows, yeah. How? All right. I don't know what that was, but don't blame that one on the coffee. So... (laughs) Two things that people bring, questions, number one, and baggage, number two. And, and that's part of it. That, that, well, let me read a couple of verses, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. This is where the Queen of Sheba, actual person, comes to visit Solomon, another actual person. And, and I want to use this to illustrate some things about the local church. In 1 Kings chapter 10, and verse 1, it says, The Queen of Sheba heard about Solomon, so she came to test him with hard questions. She came to test him with hard questions. She traveled to Jerusalem with a very large group of servants. There were many camels carrying spices and jewels and a lot of gold. She had bags. Now, she had good baggage, all right? She planned to give some gifts, but, but I'm using that as a, maybe an illustration for something else. Verse 3, Solomon answered all the questions. None of her questions were too hard for him to explain. People come to church with two things, questions and baggage, And we're going to learn in this story that her questions were answered and something happened that helped her to let go of her baggage. And if we'll follow and understand these principles, same thing can happen to us and with us. But when people come to church, they have questions. Some of them are really practical questions like, and maybe some of you, the first time you, how many of you ever came to this church for the first time? Anyone? All right. About a third of you. I don't remember you at North, but that's all right. So you probably experienced some of those things. When you walked up, there's like two doors. Which door do I go to? Common sense is I'm going to go to the door that everybody else is going to. So I'm going to follow that door. I'm going to go there. Well, then you walk in. It's like, okay, what direction do I go? Do I go that way or do I go that way? Well, there's glass doors over there. That looks a little bit, I don't know, but there's wood doors over there. That's a little bit more intimidating. And there's these happy people around me. And they're all talking to each other. They seem to know where they're going and what they're doing. Where do I go? 
I'm going to go where everybody else is going, but I see those wooden, and then you walk in these doors, and then it's like, okay, where do I go now? Because I didn't expect this big space, and I didn't expect to have everything blocked back there. So you begin to walk around. You have all kinds of questions. Where do I go? What do I hang? Where do, I, do I hang my coat up somewhere? Is there a coat room? Do I bring my coat with me? Is it safe to leave it somewhere else? You know, and if you've got children, where do my kids go? I, you know, all of those things. Those are questions that they come with. Those are practical questions. How long is it going to, ha- you know, what's going to happen? And, you know, if you're maybe not used to a service like this, worship, it can be intimidating. It can be scary. It can be uncomfortable. And we understand that. It's part of why we say and do some of the things that we do. But those aren't the only questions. Some questions are, are a little bit more, you know, they're, they're a little bit more theological. They're, they're, they're like, you know, are people going to judge me? Are people going to accept me? Is there going to be a place for me? Am I going to feel left out? And then some of them are deeper questions. God, do you even care about me? God, do you even know I'm alive? God, I've been struggling with some stuff. Those are questions that people come to church with. And I believe that every one of those questions are answered in the following verses. And not only do that, they bring baggage with them. And I just want to remind us as a congregation that whenever somebody is, when we're row to row, our, our weakness a lot of times is that we, we want to be judgmental. I hear people, oh, they were late again. They're always late. Well, maybe something's going. We're always remember, there's one thing that you don't know anything about. There's always one more thing that you know nothing about. Let's be gracious, Amen. Let's be gracious to every single person who walks through, because we don't know, the road doesn't know the journey that they've been on. I used to kind of get upset. I, you know what? I'm so glad you're in church. That's all, I, I'm glad. I believe that if you're here for five minutes, you're going to get something good. And there's going to be something that's going to be spoken into your life that's going to bless you for the five minutes you're here rather than complaining about the 55 minutes you weren't here. Amen? And, and, and that's just, uh, anyway, praise God. So, <laughs> what was it? What was it that answered her question and relieved her of her baggage? Listen to this. Verse 4 says, the queen of Sheba saw. Everybody say saw. Now, she'd heard Solomon talking. She's impressed with the wisdom. But then she saw that Solomon was very wise. She also saw the beautiful palace that he had built. She saw the food at the king's table. She saw his officials meeting together. She saw the servants in the palace and the good clothes that they wore. She saw his parties and the sacrifices that he offered in the Lord's temple. She was so amazed at everything she saw that she could hardly breathe. What she experienced took her breath away. Now, I think if we fast forward to the 21st century to right now, I think that should be the goal of every local church. It should be to take people's breath away. But notice, it wasn't just the wisdom of Solomon. It wasn't just what, she, what he said. It wasn't just the questions that were answered. It was when she began to see that this was more than just one person. That it wasn't one thing, it was everything. And everything and everyone worked together in such a way that it took her breath away. You and I have the most precious, most life-changing, awesome story to tell. And that is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that story will change. It's been changing lives for 2,000 years. And it is too good and too precious to, to take lightly, to take for granted, or to not tell well. 
But it's not just one person. Not one thing, everything. That's the power of the row. Everybody working together to bring something to pass. And then it says in verse 6, then... She said to King Solomon, the stories I heard in my country about your great works and your wisdom are true. Now, I find that interesting. She heard about the reputation. She heard about stuff before she ever experienced it. I don't know how many of you, but this is probably true of a majority of you. You probably heard about this church long before you ever experienced this church. Four years 24 years. Some people learn a little slower than others. But we're glad you're here. Part of the Jeffro. Jeffro. Jeffro Bodine. Yeah. Jeff's prayer, man. I'm going to fill up a row. But this row knows. A section now. We're moving, moving on up. Going from row to section. Praise God. I like that. Some of you heard about this place before you ever experienced it. Because for a lot of you, that's ah, just a church. It's just a thing that people do. And you've already got preconceived about church that it's, you know, a bunch of bigoted hypocrites and stuff like that. Now here you are, a bunch of bigoted hypocrites joining all of us. No, you find out that's not what that's like. You find out that that's not what, that, that's not what Jesus is about. And so there are people all over central Minnesota that are hearing about you and me and we hearing about this church. A couple of weeks when we do Fall Fun Fest, there will be a, thousands of people that will hear about this church because of an event that they attend. And eventually those hearing about leads to questioning about, to something happening in their life, what we call top of the mind awareness. When something goes on, it's like, man, I need God. I need a church. Maybe I'll try that crazy bunch of people that were at the Civic Center or, or that I saw at, 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 at Summerland or whatever it might be. And so what does it say again? She says, then she said to King Solomon, these stories that I heard in my country about your great works and your wisdom are true. I did not believe it until... I came and saw it with my own eyes. And now that I see it, it's even greater than what I heard. Your wealth and your wisdom are much greater than the people told me. I couldn't believe it. I didn't believe it until I came and experienced it. When I saw it, then I believed. But what did she see? It was a combination of what she heard from Solomon and what she saw in everybody else. The way that the, the, way that the ministers, the, 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 what we would call maybe today the connections team, they were attentive to things that were going on. They were aware, and, and, and they saw the people coming together, having fun together. They, she saw all of those things, and all of those things overwhelmed her and brought her to the point of, man, I didn't even know if I believe this. Like, it is too good to be true, but wow, it's true. It's awesome. And it's wonderful. So, this is what else she noticed. Verse 8. Happy are your men and happy are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Verse 8, I love this. Blessed be the Lord your God. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king in order to execute his judgment and his justice. What's she saying? I heard of your wisdom, Solomon. I came to check it out. And I asked you all kinds of hard questions. And I found out you knew what you were talking about. But that wasn't it. It's not just you. Everybody else around you, everything that I experienced, everything else that I saw, it overwhelmed me. 
it took my breath away. I wouldn't have believed it until I saw it. Now that I see it, it's even greater than I thought that it could have been. And what did she do? She connected the dots back to God. You don't do this because of you. You're doing this. Blessed be your God. Your God is pretty awesome. Your God is pretty cool. I think that God's gotten a bad rap from people lately. I think there's a lot of people think that God's causing all kinds of destruction and chaos and death and evil stuff. God's not doing that. He's good. He's a good father. He's a good God. It's a bad devil and a dangerous world, but he's a good God. Let's say that again because that's pretty good. There's a, bad, there's a good God and a bad devil in a dangerous world, but God is good. Don't forget who the good one is and who the bad one is. Quit blaming God for stuff he didn't do. It's a dangerous fallen world that we live in. That's why he's given us his word. His word provides guardrails and guideposts for us to navigate this life so that we can successfully reach the end of this life and get to the next life. Amen? That's, that's why he's given, part of the reason he's, he's given us his word. And so she connected the dots. She saw and she heard and she said, this is because of God. And the people that were in there weren't doing it just to put on a show for the queen of Sheba. They were doing it in response to God so that God would get the glory. And as a, a byproduct, if, if you will, suddenly something powerful began to happen. And notice what the last thing after she connected the dots back up to God, verse 8 says she gave, or verse 10, she gave the king 120 talents of gold, a great amount of spices and precious stones. No one gave as many spices as the queen of Sheba gave to the king of Solomon. What did she do? She let go. After she heard, after she saw, after she experienced, after all of those things, she felt safe and she felt comfortable and she felt welcomed and she felt warm and she felt loved and she was willing and ready and able to let go of all of the stuff in her life that she had brought. Her questions were answered. Her baggage was released because she heard and she saw. Now, we have... In this church, when, when I say that, that to me, the, the strength of circles and rows coming together is what we just, what we just talked about, what we just read there, I think is, 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 is something that we do as a church that we call the dream team. And the dream team, uh, we say it like this, the dream team is a team of people that are perceived as the perfect combination for a particular purpose. One purpose is to give God glory, but there's a team of people. We do ministry in teams. We have our creative arts team. We have our connections team. We have an admin team. We have our growth track team. We, have, we do everything in teams and, and, and using our gifts and our talents. And, and there are some people that are behind the scenes admin types. There are out front kind of obnoxious gifts like mine. But, but we're all working together, and, and it is in that working together for a particular purpose. And the particular purpose might be children's ministry. It might be, you know, inspiring in song. It might be in video or in editing or whatever it is. But it is, it, it is the connections, or, or I'm sorry, the dream team. And, and it's in the dream team that there are the circles of fellowship and fun and love. And it's where we practice one another's. But also in the, in the dream team, there's the power of rose. There's the strength and the might. Everybody can do more than, than somebody. I thought about having Bill. He was our drummer this morning. Just have him come up and play one of the songs just on the drums. And we'll all sing along. That would not be enjoyable if that's all we had were the drums. But it's... Not that Bill's a bad drummer or that we don't like drummers. Amen, Matt? We, we, love, we love drummers or one of our other drummers. We, we like them. Amen. Amen. I knew at least get one amen. All right. 
But when we put all of those gifts, when we put all of those things together, that's when whew, it becomes beautiful. It's something that we can, and, and that's what God wants to do throughout the church, throughout the body of Christ. And, and so we honor our dream team. We invest, in, we invest in, in excellence. We invest in those things. This weekend we did a, we're going to show you a quick clip, but this weekend we did what we call the dream team party. It was on Friday night, and we had a lot of fun. And for those of you that, weren't, uh, that, that either couldn't make it, too bad. Uh, we'll do another one next year. We had so much fun. But we got a quick clip. We also gave away our joy awards for the year. It's five awards that we give to outstanding people in our congregation because we want people to know that we love what they do and we appreciate them. So we thought we're going to drag you along with it and and, uh, let's have some fun with that. Go ahead and show that if you would.
Amen. Give them a hand. We love our dream team here. You say, well, I want to get in the party. I want to have fun. Get involved in the dream team, man. This is a growth track. Step three is today, discovering your gifts and your purpose. Uh, and we do life in teams. We believe every task is important. I want to finish with a quick story and uh, that I will tell in longer than three minutes that I have, but it's worth it. So um, uh, how many of you have a grandma? All right, most of you do. Uh, my, my grandmother, I have obviously... Well, anyway, my grandmother that I'm speaking of is really the only grandparent that I really remember well uh, because I'm, I came along younger uh, uh, in my family. And, and anyway, uh, my grandmother lived in Maplewood, and, um, and so we would go and visit quite often and uh, holidays at times and just going down there. And then every so often... I would spend a week there during the summertime, and, and there was always, like, good and bad things. My grandma was a pretty good cook. She was kind of fun. She had some great – she didn't really tell – I wish I would have known this when I was younger, but she had some great stories about during Prohibition and stuff that she did during Prohibition, and I don't know about the caves somewhere in downtown St. Paul, I think, but she was a part of that and hung with some gangsters. Her husband was a police officer. So anyway, just, just kind of some really interesting stuff, I guess. Anyway, and I've, I, I'm not a chip off the old block, you can tell, and acorn fell far from that particular tree. But um, what I, I have two really big memories, if you will, from my grandmother's house and going there. And uh, one of them, well, one of them is, is this. How many of you know what nose blind is? My grandmother was nose blind. Nose blind is when you're so accustomed to a smell, like in this picture is actually a, a, a Febreze that, that talks about, you know, nose blind. And people, you know, your car might smell like fast food. It smells normal to you, but everybody else who gets in is like, man, it smells like greasy McDonald's or something like that. And, and, and so my grandma was nose blind. And I, would, I remember walking into her house. And the moment I walked, it was like somebody punched my nostrils. And it was kind of like a sour damp basement musty smell with a finishing note of Pall Mall cigarettes and it just it was terrible for the first 10 minutes or so now to her that was just normal that's just the way I mean she was nose blind and 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 it was amazing because the second I walked in, it was like oh man and I can still smell it and taste it right now when, when I when I tell you about it I, I really can but the second thing that I remember about my grandmother's house is is and, and, and some of you are familiar how many of you remember fizzies if you remember fizzies you're old like me and so fizzies came along in the 50s and the 60s particularly and and what it was was a tablet kind of like uh, like an Alka-Seltzer, you'd put it in a glass of cold water, it would, it would cause carbonation and it would release a flavor, orange or cola or root beer or something like that. I, as I was reading, I was like, whatever happened to fizzies? Actually, what happened to fizzies is in the 70s, the, the manufacturer decided that it was, it was too difficult to make it taste good and to be legal to be able to turn a profit. Because the food Nazis came along and said, you can't have saccharin. Can you believe it? So we lost fizzies because of saccharin. Man. I don't know what saccharin's bad for, but anyway. Now, my grand Shelly's looking at me like, oh, please. My grandmother, I don't think she liked, I don't know if she hated fizzies, but I'm pretty sure she didn't like fizzies. She liked something a little bit stronger than that. And, and so she didn't like, I don't think that she had fizzies there for her. In fact, I know she didn't have fizzies there for her. She had them for me. She knew I was coming, and because I was coming, she prepared for me. 
and she had fizzies. And so there's two lessons that I've, I've learned from my, from my grandmother's house. The first lesson, the first lesson is, is that my grandmother prepared for me because she loved me. So she had my favorite stuff. She had fizzies, she had candy, she had good stuff. And the second thing is that every house has its own stink. Amen? I think about this as a grandparent now. I think, I wonder if my house, if my grandkids walk in and say, your house stinks. And it's just too nice to say something about it. Our house doesn't stink, does it? No, because we're nose blind. Exactly. We're, every house has its own stink. And so the reason I share that with you this morning is because of two things that everybody comes into this church with. Number one, they come with questions and they come with baggage. And we as a church need to remember and ask ourselves the question, are we nose blind? Are we nose blind? Because every church has its own stink. There are stuff that we just accept and it's a part of joy and it's a part of who we are. But as a church, we, we believe, I, I, I want us to understand that even the smallest details are so important. There isn't anything that's, in, that, that's unimportant, I think, when it comes to doing church, to reaching people, to answering the needs of people's hearts. We believe that this, what we call the environment, the Sunday morning service, what, what people experience, it should smell good and look good and, 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 and people should be actually like smiling and having fun and all of those things. And the second thing is, are we prepared? Are we prepared for people who are going to come in and maybe disrupt our circle just a little bit? And because they don't know what we know and they haven't experienced what we experienced, maybe they're they're holding back or maybe they've got questions, maybe they've got hurts, but this is what I believe and this is what we prepare for. Together we make a difference. Together everybody can do more than somebody can. And some of you are gifted with servants' hearts and you don't care who gets the glory. Some of you have have a heart of compassion towards people and you just, it's like, oh, please, you know, kind of a thing. Let me help you. Let me pray for you. Others of you, man, you're happy behind the scenes, but together we're so much better. Together we're so much more powerful because together we can make a difference. We really, really can. I have, and you've heard me say this, I have three great goals. Number one, I want people to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I want you to adopt these. Number two, I want to help those that make Jesus the Lord of their life to become disciplined followers of Jesus Christ. And number three, I want to have a blast while I'm doing the first two. That's what I want for this church. I want this church to care about the lost because there is a real heaven, there is a real hell, there is a real eternity. But Christianity is more than an experience. It's a journey and you need God's word. You need to be discipled. You need to grow up. Because you're born as a spiritual, you're born again as a spiritual baby. But doggone it, life is too short to not have fun. We're going to have, and you know what? That's biblical. It's biblical. Because one of the things that the Queen of Sheba noticed, she noticed that people were happy, that the people were happy. And we see this in Acts chapter 2 as well. Because it says in, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day. That's the row. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And then the eternal happened Each day, the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. It was the power of the row, the heart of the circle, joined together to cause something wonderful to happen that brought salvation to people and glory to God. 
And at Joy, that's our dream team. That's the opportunities that we have to be generous. In a couple of weeks, we're going to we're going to love on our community in a way that few churches can because it's the power of us. It's the power of we. Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you today, Lord. I thank you for the heart that's in this congregation. I thank you for the men and women who so faithfully serve you by serving each other. I thank you, Father, for what you've called us to do here in St. Cloud. Father, in a couple of weeks, when we love on this community, I thank you that you'll be there to meet every need, that you will help us to answer the tough questions, that people will see that God isn't just some fuddy-duddy. People will see that God is a God who loves and cares and is concerned about each and every one of, of them because, Father, you're going to use us. You're going to touch us and anoint us and empower us to bless this community in a way that we could never do on our own. And if you're here today, this morning, and, and, and maybe you're like those first people in the first century that didn't know about Jesus. They didn't know that Jesus died for him, for them. That he, they didn't know, you didn't know that he rose from the dead and that it's faith in Christ alone. Maybe you thought it was rules and regulations and you never felt good enough. And yet the Bible says that if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouth that he is Lord, we will be saved. It's that simple. And if you're here to this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never taken that step of faith and said, I, may, I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, never made him the Lord of your life and you would like to today, would you just hold your hand up real high? I want to pray with you. I want to join you in prayer. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Just Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Any, yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else? Just hold your hand up real high, man. He is here today. He will, he will fill your life with good things and take you on a journey. Mm-mm. Yes, ma'am, thank you. With your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, I want us all to pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I understand today that coming to you is simple and a choice. And so I use that power this morning. I choose to accept Jesus as my Savior. And by choosing that direction, I say no to everything else. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. You shed your blood for me. And I believe that you're alive. I accept you as my Savior. And I declare today, you're the Lord of my life. Father, I thank you for these that have raised their hand this morning who've begun the journey. And Father, I thank you for this tremendous congregation of men and women. And I ask you to help us to help them in that journey. And Father, we believe that together we will do much to make a difference here in central Minnesota. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. We're so happy you joined us today. If you're ever in the St. Cloud area, we invite you to join us for one of our 9 or 1045 a.m. services. If you made a decision today to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we'd love to hear about it. We invite you to email us or contact us through our website, greatjoy.org.